0: Hi, Happy Enders. It's another week. Yay! Are you excited? Are you ready to relax? Uh, This episode's pretty cool because it is an old-school comic named Lou Deck, and he actually talks about Mitzi, which we all know I love, or who I (laughs) love, and he talks about the strike, and he just has a lot of insight about the beginning of comedy during the dark days, during the boom, so it was really interesting to talk to and just see his take on the things and how he felt about the strike and so i'm really excited for you guys to listen to this one uh please like click subscribe comment anything like that youtube itunes SoundCloud, all, wherever you guys listen to me. And um, also, thank you Care By Design for hooking me up with the lotion. You guys are amazing. Um, please go to Care By Design or Absolute Extract to get all of your THC CBD needs because they are fucking amazing. Also, you can email me at joyshappyandings at gmail.com. Enjoy. joy. Get undressed. Get under the sheets. Ooh you're in for a tree. No, I promise this is not a dream. It's just a happy ending with Joy I leave. All right. Are you ready for this? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I like the Respect, I'm getting.
1: I grew up from a southern woman telling me to show respect to all women till they deserve not to have it.
0: What makes them deserve not to have it?
1: Uh, dishonesty. Okay. Uh, sluttiness. Oh,
0: well, then I don't need that.
1: Uh-huh. Well, no, no, no. You you don't want to be a gentleman anyhow. It's a piece of work to do. But no, I mean, my mother was a single woman raising three kids. I'm the youngest, and that. I was taught to show respect and that I got more freedom and more things to do if I was trustworthy and a gentleman. And so after working for the comedy store for nine days, nine years, it's almost like it always helped me. Okay. So I'm a gentleman. Big deal.
0: (laughs) I like it. I like it. No, brothers, sisters?
1: Uh, I have an older sister who has passed away a couple of years ago. I have an older brother. Who's in Georgia. That's where we grew up. Okay. We were born in Austin, Texas. Both my parents are from Texas. And when I was four, my dad got a job with the Air Force that required him to move to Georgia. Okay. So we lived on Air Force bases for four or five years and then moved just to north of Atlanta, where the big Air Force and the the factory was. So I grew up in Georgia. I'm a Texan. I believe I'm a Texan, but I have Georgia all over me.
0: Okay. I'm actually not allowed in Texas anymore. Well, why? I have a ex there that (laughs) keeps me away.
1: Okay. I I got the same story in Tampa. (laughs) Yes. Except mine's a a captain of the police force. Oh, okay. Anyhow, so... uh, Growing up in Georgia, it's a different set of cultural level. You tell people on the West Coast you're from Georgia, they think you're stupid. (laughs) Really? Yeah, I told them, I says, look, I'm from Georgia, but I got away. I'm not that stupid.
0: (laughs) I escaped. Okay, so did you do Georgia straight to here?
1: Uh, No, I went in the Navy right out of high school. Okay. Got hurt, and at... uh, Spent a couple of years in rehab, getting my leg and shoulder back together. Went to college at the University of Texas, where I was born, Austin, Texas. Uh, I'm dating a a girl in law school, and uh, I quit to come be a comic. I quit law school to come be a comic. 45 years later, my mother's still pissed off about it. (laughs) And that my second day in town... I got a job as a dormant at the Comedy Store Westwood from Ollie Joe Prater.
0: Oh, my goodness. A famous
1: Hollywood act and possibly the best act I've ever seen, and I've seen most everybody. I thought he was more powerful than Robin Williams or Richard Pryor, just for the point that he went to a 100 places a year that neither one of them would go to. Really? We got a record for performing in 100 cities in a row for three years in a row. Oh, I love it. Probably like one-nighter shows. So when you're at the Comedy Store, you're doomed to doing short sets. Yes. So the first step to grow after you know what you're doing at the Comedy Store is to go out on tour and get, you know, eight shows a week for 13 weeks. Okay. Then you get the space and understand, first, L.A. audiences are different from out there. Second... You need the repetition of your act over and over and over under all kinds of conditions, and that's what I got with Ollie. And since I work clean and Ollie worked dirty, our acts didn't collide. I love it. And that even after a while, when he wanted me to get more clubby, everything I would, every time I would write a, 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 a more profane joke, he would buy it off me.
0: Oh, I love it.
1: Here's my favorite. Uh, it's my dick. It's my shower. I'll wash it as fast as I want to. <laughs> there should be in every men's room, every shower room in the country, there should be a big black circle with a slash through it. If it ain't your dick, don't touch it. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not kind of thing I would do in my act. I would just and that so after a while. We cut the middle guy out of the out of the three act system.
0: Who was the middle guy?
1: Uh, well, most comedy clubs work like the La Jolla Comedy Club for the Comedy Store. Okay. There's a an opener MC, uh-huh. usually the least experienced. There's a middle act. The opener does about fifteen minutes, maybe twenty, if he has to do a lot of MCing, telling where the bathrooms are and. All the club events. Uh-huh. And he does 15. Then the middle act comes on. It's also called the feature act. Uh-huh. And he does 30. Then the headliner comes on and does 45 to 55. And if he, if he feels it's necessary, he'll do a five-minute encore. But we discovered long ago that three good acts in that formula will laugh them out at about 110 minutes. Okay. And it's useless to try to do much more after that, except sell booze, so you you don't that's the show three acts. Uh-huh. Ali and I cut out the middle act, and I hosted and did the, the 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 middle act myself, so we got paid more money. Then Ollie was one of the highest paid headliners of the times. So after a while, he had the agents line up the gigs right in order. And he made me an offer. He says, come open for me on the road, do 30 minutes, I'll pay you 1000 a week. And this was 1986. Okay. So that's roughly five, double as much as anybody else in my position was getting. Uh-huh. And then most people work four or five weeks, come back to L.A., sit around, and then go out and work four or five weeks. We worked 12 weeks, 13 weeks at a time. So we had more money, more practice, and our acts improved.
0: Yes, yes.
1: So to be back at the Comedy Store after all these years is uh, delightful to me. In fact, where we are right now was my first office at the Comedy Store. When Mitchie decided to do video, through some of an elaborate schemes, they got me and presented to her, and she made me the head of video. Okay. In this space. I love it. And that my first client was Argus Hamilton. Really? Yep.
0: Okay. Now, was that when him and Mitzi were dating? It
1: it, it was before that. Okay. It was eminently due, the more successful Argus got, the more Mitzi came interested in him.
0: I get that. That makes sense. Okay.
1: At one time, there was a list for The Tonight Show, and Argus was fifth. Yes. And then he had his little... Uh, 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 let's say cocaine adventure.
0: Cocaine. <laughs> okay. I like the cocaine adventure, okay.
1: And that led to some dishonesty and some uh, uh, amazingly unarrestable unre- uh, things.
0: Right. Argus
1: is a people person. He should have been arrested 20 times. <laughs> but he got away. Yes. But that uh, maybe two years after doing this, uh, she gave me a different office because she hated coming down the stairs. In the old days, we called this room the dungeon. Yes, I can see that. And that she had trouble with the stairs, so she gave me the back office at the bottom of the stairs, which is the VIP room.
0: Uh-huh, okay, okay. And so,
1: Argus, when I, we would meet early, we would talk the set over, he would go on stage, I'd sit up in the back of the room, we'd shoot the set, we'd take it back to the office, watch it two or three times, change the jokes... And then as soon as the audience changed, we would he'd go on again. So he grew as a comic vastly quicker than anybody else. Okay. So for him to be doing a show here in my old office
0: <laughs>
1: the Comedy Store Tonight Show. Uh huh. I'm proud to say I have been a guest, I have been a writer, I have been a producer, and Argus calls me his emotional stunt double. I love it because when somebody has to care, he walks away and sends me over.
0: Nice. Now, were you around during the strike?
1: Ooh. Yes, ma'am.
0: Okay, because I... Okay, I, I guess I should preface this. This is my favorite place in the whole wide world, the comedy store.
1: Oh, cool. That too. So,
0: so I have researched and read all the books and just, you did know... Did you read
1: I'm Dying Up Here? I did. Did you notice he featured me?
0: I. Ew, it's been a while, so... I don't want to lie.
1: <laughs> uh, I asked him after the book came out 20 times because we still talk a lot. Uh-huh. Why me? And he said he wanted a doorman's viewpoint.
0: So you were a Dorman during yeah. that? Yeah.
1: So Mitzi used to own a property up on the hill behind the comedy store called Crest Hill. That's the name of the road.
0: Right, right.
1: If you look out the back parking lot, the first house you see is not it. Look one more west. That's Crest Hill. Okay. And when Mitzi bought the building, the house came with it. It sat for a couple of years, and then she got it on herself to help some comics, and would let them live there in return for work. Uh huh. When I moved in, Yakov Smirnov, Mike Binder, okay. Argus Hamilton, Ollie Joe Prater, <laughs> and one other guy were, was living there. Okay. The uh, the other guy, he was an impressionist, a uh, New Yorker, uh, pretty decent, but he did full-on makeup impressions and, and costuming. So in his long show, he could only do two or three, and right. he could do ten of them. So every morning, you'd come up to the kitchen, because he had the little maid's room off the kitchen, and he'd be sitting there in his tidy whities with a mirror and full makeup and costume, except for pants. Oh, shoot. And be doing his rehearsals. Okay. Well, that person's name was Andrew Dice Clay.
0: Are you serious?
1: Yeah. And that, what it was, was she had an interest in each of the people that lived there in advancing their, their careers. Okay. So I lived in Westwood. A lot of times they would have stuff for me to do, doorman-wise, or uh, operations, uh, running a bar-wise. Uh-huh. And it'd take me an hour to get here. So, uh, right across the street from the Comedy Store down at the light across from the Hyatt or whatever the ad riz, the new hotel is, uh-huh, the is, is Best Western 8400 Sunset. Yep. In those days, call it 75 through through 80, it was an apartment building. Oh, okay. And Mitzi had rented rooms for somebody and was moving them from there into the the house. So... A very famous comic, George Miller used to live there, Mitchell Walters used to live there, one of our senior doormen, Harris Pete, used to live there. Um, she got David Letterman a one-room apartment to keep him in town.
0: Yes, because he wanted to go back to Kansas. And
1: that when he hit The Tonight Show, he moved out and gave it to Argus. When Argus moved out, he gave it to me. When the lease ran out eight months later, I got an offer to live in Hill. Okay. So I'm just a doorman. Basically, uh, I get two, three spots a week, and I host a couple of shows, but six nights a week I'm at the back door or fronting the main room. Uh Uh-huh. And I come to work one night, and the 150th funniest people in the world are out front with picket signs screaming and yelling at me.
0: Oh, no. Uh,
1: The way I tell the story, I was actually 159th in line at the comedy store. Okay. And when I came to work that night, 150 people in front of me were out on the street refusing to perform. Mitzi put me on for two hours in the main room, hosting and directing the potluck players, and then on for two hours in the original room, MCing and doing spots, and filling when there wasn't a comic, and then I went upstairs in the belly room for an hour. Oh, my goodness. So I went from, you know, two or three, four small, small spots a, a, a week, to four hours a night during the strike. Okay. It was the greatest thing that ever happened to me because I suddenly had the responsibility to keep the room going, and I wouldn't want to tell a bad joke or, you know what I'm saying, let the room down when you're hosting.
0: Right, right, right.
1: So uh, in the end, they were trying to mimic a labor dispute in New York about 99-seat theaters that had happened the previous year. And a bunch of actors went out on the street and made a big enough publicity scene that SAG actually changed the rules to include 99-seaters. Okay. There was no pay involved. So a bunch of New York comics had said, well, why don't we strike against Mitzi? Now, if you noticed, they didn't strike about any other clubs but us. Yep. So... I also was, uh, my interest in law school was labor relations. Oh. So what they ended up doing was forming an extortion gang. And the ten most fierce, famous personalities came in and tried to confront her. Meantime, we've redecorated the main room. We're we're starting to open a show called the, The Best of the Comedy Store. And we're working out a plan to pay the comics in the main room. Okay. But to do that, she had to raise the cover charge in the original room. Yes. And that's what sparked them saying, we want the extra two bucks. Now, I'll just tell you now, if you want the extra two bucks, walk in and ask nicely. You'll stand a thousand percent chance of getting it. Then what they did was walk in and call her names, very dirty names. And then when that didn't work, they said... It's not just, well, I call them the Fabulous 14. Okay. The the, the guy that ran the strike, I won't mention his name, his initials are T.D. Uh-huh. Uh, but every one of those acts was a class paid act and deserved to be paid. I'm, I do not dispute that. But when they called her name, she said, get out of the club.
0: Yeah, she was a strong woman in the well, 70s. I mean, you know, it was
1: worse than I'm saying, but... At some point, they sent somebody inside from the strike to fall down and fake an injury on the original room stage and take us to court. So that got to the California Supreme Court in less than five weeks. Really? Well, guess who has pulled? The comics don't. Right. The court decided that comics, stand-up comics are independent contractors. Uh-huh. They carry their own insurance. You can sue for uh, negligence, but not for employee rights
0: right right right
1: and that's the only real thing that happened out of the strike besides them forming uh, a dental union as a trade association okay so what I told them at the time was you're not a union you can't expect to be you know uh, forming a union unless you file the paperwork and get a lawyer and do it correctly after that you're a mob
0: did, you, did they know that you had your background?
1: No, no, I was the uh, the lowest person at the comedy store. They didn't care shit about me, pardon me, didn't care heck about me except getting their car parked and on stage at night.
0: Okay, okay.
1: I was the lowest rank here. Okay. Uh, oh, gosh, how can I put this? Uh, I, was a mem- I wasn't I was even a single stand-up. I was a member of a comedy team called Heck and Deck. Funny as a train wreck. Okay. We were trying to be a very satirical Monty Python with two guys. Oh, my. So we were loud, we were outrageous, we did things that weren't necessarily funny, but to be startling.
0: Okay. Did we it...
1: rewrote the tune to, not Diamonds is a girl's best friend, but Violence is a girl's best friend.
0: Violence is a girl's
1: best friend. Some handcuffs with please might be... At any rate, we didn't know we were very funny, but everybody else in the world knew we weren't going anywhere. Okay. The truth is comedy teams break up because two guys can't live on one paycheck.
0: Okay, yes.
1: And when the strike came, my partner supported the strikers, and I supported Mitzi. Okay. So I wrote a book. What caused it all, in my mind, was the increase in cover charge. You remember when matches used to have a... um, Warning on a book of matches that said, close cover before striking. Yes. That's the name of my book with heck and deck that broke up in the strike. If she had just closed the cover in the main, in the original room, they wouldn't have had a bitch.
0: I love it. Okay.
1: But she didn't. No. At the end, it was decided that they would get what we were planning to give them to begin with. But one bad, really bad thing happened. Yes. One of her semi-favorites that was about to be asked to leave because he has to get out in the world and learn the next step. The send-off gig was the middle gig in La Jolla at the comedy store. Uh-huh. On the fourth day of the strike, he drove down to do it, but he, he, he was unprofessional. He left L.A. at 3 o'clock trying to get to La Jolla in San Diego. Uh-huh. His car broke down. Oh. They had to start the show without him. The deduction was that he was part of the strike.
0: Yes, that's, yes. So
1: she immediately hired another comic and banned him. And he came back and joined the strike. And then after the strike, the rules were, everybody goes back to the neutral corner, you get what you were getting before. And he was he was getting nothing before, so he knew after the strike he wouldn't get anything.
0: Uh-huh. The
1: strike didn't accomplish anything, so they let him down. So he was so upset he checked into the hotel next to the comedy store and jumped off the twelfth floor. Yeah, I was back manager that night, and they asked me to identify the body.
0: Did oh my goodness!
1: I said no, I don't want that in my brain. Ten minutes later, they walk up with a baggie with his bloody driver's license on it, and it was him, and I do know him. He'd been at my apartment a month before to smoke a joint. He was a friend. But to be honest with you, he was going nowhere. He had a whiny act. Okay. Whiny people don't make it very often. Right. And we just had Richard Lewis, who's a whiny act, make it. So, you know, at any rate... At that point, everybody just kind of disappeared from the strike.
0: Didn't they kind of blame Mitzi, though?
1: That you say that again.
0: They blamed Mitzi, right? Well, everybody
1: his... blames everybody. I blame the leader of the strike for not giving him hope.
0: Okay. But didn't he promise,
1: Yeah, Stephen, he's all over the book.
0: He promised, though, that like he wouldn't do another set until he got up, right? And it took him 40 years to come back here, right? Yes,
1: ma'am. He was back with Argus and Binder about five months ago. Uh Uh-huh. And when I heard it, I wish I'd been here, I'd have come up and slapped his face. Oh. I mean, not uh, fight him, because he's 70, (laughs) 75, maybe, I don't know, he's older. He's the older generation for me.
0: Uh Uh-huh, okay.
1: But he's also on the basketball team. Oh. So, (laughs) it's a long story, and uh, Emma... Um, Argus's producer
0: Emily uh-huh. said something
1: to me that made me believe it because she's dealt with so many of us that went through the strike if you went through the strike it doesn't matter which side you were on, you still remember it you still feel the same and that there's nothing to prove that's gone yep. but I have organized a crew of all the old doormen, I got like 9 different people I know where he lives, uh, the leader of the strike. Uh-huh. He lives in the valley. I know where. We're going to go pick at his house on um, video.
0: When is this going to happen?
1: It's just a joke. Oh, okay. <laughs> the, uh, the, the night of the strike, the signs were fairly specific. No bucks, no yucks. Uh-huh. So our signs will be ju- just the opposite. It will be showcase clubs rule. But it's more of a laughter revenge I'm looking for than to actually get mad at the guy. Okay. Once the comedy store has him back, my bitch is now personal.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: But I've been able to say to everyone that was around during the strike, it's 40 years later, Jeez. did you ever buy and run a comedy club on your own money? Nobody can say yes, but then I say then postulate. You had bought a club. You were running it on your own money. Do you want a bunch of egotist psychopaths to come in here and insist you run it their way? Yes. No, you don't. Now consider that Mitzi was a a religious minority. She's Jewish. She was on Sunset Boulevard, a single woman with kids. Yes, she
0: was. Running
1: a club that would become the funniest place on earth. Yes, it wasn't easy, and if you think it's easy, come down to Sunset Boulevard and start a business. We'll show you how easy it is. That is true. So, uh, at the end of my life, I've had everything I ever wanted from comedy. I've, I've been in 25 different countries performing. I was the first American comic in North Korea. I was the first American comic in Havana. Okay. And that... I got everything I wanted, and I invested and saved. I don't need anything now. I just want to have some fun. Uh huh. About a year ago, in January of 2019, uh huh. My wife died. Oh, I'm sorry. Hardest thing I've ever been through. But the reason I'm here at the comedy store now is that she wanted me to come back.
0: Oh, I love it.
1: So I'm here.
0: Okay. And
1: if I have one goal in the rest of my life, I want to get Mincy Shore, a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame.
0: Yes, I love that. I love that. I, how are, what's, are you? Is there a petition? Well, like...
1: well first, you petition. Uh-huh. There's, there's quite a fee. Oh. It's just under $35,000. Okay. Uh, second, you've got to have a category. Okay. Uh, third, would you know Jeff Scott?
0: I do. He's been on my podcast. Yes,
1: ma'am. Jeff Scott used to work for the Hollywood Chamber of Commerce, the very same people. Okay. So he knows all about it and has educated me. Um, he says they're far more concerned with who may show up at the installation than they are with anything else. It's got to be a big deal. Well, okay. So I have been to the big mega stars from the comedy store. Uh huh. And I've told every one of them that I'm the video guy from the comedy store. Do you remember me? Yes. <laughs> Are you aware that I put the video in Mitzi's house, in certain rooms of Mitzi's house? Okay. And that's how I got. I'm going to convince Dave Letterman to be, to come to the installation of the star.
0: Okay, I love that.
1: He just to burn the tape afterwards. <laughs>
0: But you made a copy first, right? No, oh, ma'am.
1: I have the original. <laughs> I've said this for a couple of months because I'd never do it, but uh, I can panic the place with three words. Mitzi's sex tapes.
0: I love it. Oh, I love it.
1: <laughs> but, and, and I'm being completely humorous. Even if I did own such materials, I wouldn't bring them out because she was my queen.
0: Uh-huh. She gave
1: me everything. I love every member of the family. And I wouldn't do that to the store or to the shores. Okay. But I'd threat Letterman. <laughs> and Gallagher. Okay. And Shandling. Okay. And Leno. Okay. Little knows he's innocent.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: But I want to get her a damn star. Uh, I don't think it'd be that hard to raise the money.
0: I don't think so either. Uh, it would just be especially one-
1: if I tell them I'm offering the tapes for sale from Estonia. <laughs> oh, jeez! I, pub- I i write for a magazine called the uh, .org, cheers.org. dot org. okay. And they're located in Estonia. Uh huh. Because I write a lot of political stuff, and I didn't want to be attacked for it. Then I have, oh my. I have miles of videotape from the comedy store that I shot. Oh,
0: I love it.
1: Uh, Look on my Facebook page if you get a chance. I will. And I have Robin Williams singing in the main room a reggae song called Quaalude Vibrations.
0: Quaalude, okay.
1: And first, it's amazing. Second, I have the only copy left. I gave a copy to Robin. I gave a copy to the comedy store. Uh Uh-huh. No one has it. So, I have quite a few tapes of just performances. Argus from 1980. Binder from
0: 1980.
1: Jeez. Speaking of Mike Binder,
0: uh-huh. he, he
1: was kid comedy back then. He was the funniest 17-year-old I'd ever seen. Really? Would you know the name Alan Bursky?
0: Uh, yeah, I know okay, Bursky. Okay,
1: another fabulously funny 18-year-old. But uh, Alan got angry when he turned 20 and it talked his way out of the business. Really? Well, he's just an asshole.
0: Okay, okay, (laughs) it happens.
1: Binder is not an incredibly smart kid. And the funny part was he was kid comedy. Oh, I
0: love it. And then he
1: turned 28 and he was telling high school jokes. (laughs) Okay. So he quit. He actually, he asked Mitzi to produce his comedy special and they got in an argument And uh, Because he wanted to be the producer, and she wanted to be the producer, so it didn't get produced. Oh. Three months later, the strike happens. Mike stays away for two or three days, but then he does come back in and perform. Okay. What he knows is he's going into real show business, and the rest of us are in nightclub business. So he didn't want to make bad vibes around people he'd be working with for 30 years. Okay. Since then, he has had six or seven movies he's directed. Uh, he has uh, two very highly selling books out, Spy Mysteries from London. And he taught me a lesson. He says, I went to London and I wrote a book about there so I could come back and shoot the movie in my favorite city, London.
0: Oh, I love it. Uh huh.
1: So I immediately at least start writing about Paris, okay, if this works.
0: You know what? My first book, I've never... I haven't published this one, but the first one I wrote was in Ireland because I wanted to go to Ireland. There you go. But I haven't published that one. I have seven out, but, um, yeah.
1: Well, I have a particular video slant because that's what I studied in college. And and being the video guy here got me far more notice from the big-time comics than what I did on stage. Okay. I also... uh, I'm a gadget guy, so I invented a way to hook up your videotape player to your cable box where you could record a movie and watch something else. Okay. And it was before they included that option in the the machines. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. So Richard Pryor, Robin Williams, uh, Richard Belzer all asked me to come to their house and pay me to do it for their their house. Okay. Just because I was the video guy. Uh Uh-huh. So... I've noticed over the years that whoever is doing a production will set up all of this wonderful production value and then it sits there waiting to get the good stuff. I am the king of coming along and using your production value to get my good stuff. There you go. So every time I do a project, I bring my own guy and he documents what we're doing Let's see. I'm going to lift my head. Okay. <laughs> there he I is. I think I see my guy. That's Al.
0: Hi, Al. Al's, Al's been on the podcast as well.
1: Al's smarter than me. And that uh, we've been a, uh, doing a video partnership for three four years now. Really? His one amazing thing is he makes me look better than I am.
0: Yeah, Al seems like he could do that.
1: But... We went through the, Ken- the Kinnison movie, the I Am Sam Kinnison. Uh-huh. And they asked me three or four times. I said, I want to do it because uh, I have nothing but negative to say about Sam. Okay. And they kept calling me up and said, you know, come on, come on. At one point, he called me up and said, uh, the director, what do I have to do? Set up in your garage? So I said, only if I can say what I want to. I want to bring my guy to shoot some pictures. I want to hold a picture of my star of Mitzi And get it on video, my picture of my book, get it on video. So he agreed to all of it. Okay. Going away, I won't see the movie for nine months. Okay. But Al shot 35 of the best pictures I've ever had of my life.
0: Oh, I love it.
1: The set had production value, makeup, hair, clothes, lighting. So I used their production value to get my next headshots. Okay. Uh if you look at I'm dying up here, half of the pictures are for me. Really? Yes.
0: Okay, okay.
1: Uh what else? What do we do next, Al? I'm trying to think about oh yeah, the binder documentary. So I go they asked me to be on it. I say I have a ton of memorabilia from the period. Oh I
0: love including it. Including
1: original tape of, of the director doing stand-up in the main room. Okay. So every time they're not shooting me, Al and I are slipping under their lights and shooting us.
0: I love it.
1: Then Mr. Hamilton asked me to come by and assist him on his show.
0: Uh Uh-huh.
1: Well, uh, being his stand-in for the lighting, Argus wasn't available. They asked me if I'd go over behind the news desk. It was uh, Todd, Mike Schmidt, and Brett Erickson. okay who were, were the directors. And they said, well, <laughs> tell us a few jokes. Them not knowing, I do a telecast fairly similar to Argus. I sit down and rattle off 25 jokes. And Al and I got pictures and video of it.
0: Nice.
1: I'm a king of using somebody else's production value. There you go. Guess whose production value I'm using today?
0: Uh, Mine. Yes. There's not much in this one.
1: Well, what I advise is it's a highly effective technique. You don't have to pay for the space, nor the lighting, nor the union members.
0: Yep. It's just me, my table, and some cameras.
1: Typically, I bring cookies.
0: Cookies?
1: Yeah, every time I've been to Argus' Arkansas show for 22 weeks in a row. Okay. I bring cookies. So... When I can remember to take them out of the car, right now there's a set of cookies I was drinking tonight. I left them in the car. Okay. I'm uh, 16 and 6.
0: 16
1: we, and 6. I've made it in 16 times. I've forgotten them in the car six times.
0: Nice. Very nice.
1: It's the part of the gentleman part.
0: I love it. I it's, love the gentleman. I have.
1: My whole touring career has been a matter of being the most acceptable, responsible adult around as far as comics go.
0: And it works for you. My whole life. I love it.
1: I love it. Now... I appreciate where you are right now. Do you feel the muscle mass? I do, I do. You've got stuff going on. I had a disectomy at L5. Yes. But I thought I would be scared from this. This feels great.
0: I'm glad. (laughs) I'm pretty good at what I'm doing sometimes.
1: Well, I love your idea... Of a telecast.
0: I love it too. I've, I've been wanting to combine massage and comedy for quite some time, and brilliant. I love you know because this is how I started. In fact, my I was massaging a patient, and we were just having the time of our lives, just laughing, and that's when he was like, "Joy, you should do stand up." And he got me in there a stand up class.
1: There you go. Who's?
0: It was Tom Clark.
1: Kids set
0: I adore him. He's, a very, he's also a very clean comic. Um, he, he was a very fun class. I got to showcase at the Hollywood Improv, so that was fun. But the guy who actually got me in the class, he is Swamp Thing in the new Swamp Thing series. So wow. very proud of Derek. He's well, amazing.
1: Can I ask you some questions about your stand-up? Please, please. How many shows old would you be?
0: Oh, goodness. That's a very hard question. How Uh, long
1: a time?
0: Kind of four years, but no.
1: Okay, so if we average once a week for four years, you'd be around two hundred. You think you're less than two hundred? I'm very
0: less than two hundred. Okay, there you go. Because um, I took off, and I also have three kids. So, and my husband works for the Navy, so he leaves a lot.
1: Your husband? Yes. That's the first talk I've heard of husband. Where are my clothes?
0: (laughs) It's okay. He's used to it.
1: Okay. Here's some stuff you don't know about (laughs) stand-up.
0: Okay. Give it to me. You
1: learn about every 35 shows you hit a plateau where you can crystallize what you've been doing and move on to the next step. Okay. Where you are is what you wrote three years ago has brought you where you're going to be in three years is where what you write now okay Right, right 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 every day yes i'm gonna teach you bell system bell system is i'm walking through my day i'm doing whatever i'm doing and i have a funny thought and a bell goes off in my head it's a memory device when i hear the bell i race for the pad and write it down okay all week On Sunday, I'll put aside two hours and I take those thoughts and make real jokes out of them. It's a factory, so you begin to be your own internal system to produce product. Okay. Right, 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 right. Part of why I write Poor Lou's Almanac is... Oh, weird story. Traveling with a guy after Ollie died, and he has a fax machine in his car because every morning he gets up wherever we are, writes jokes and faxes them to Leno. Okay. So I ask if I can play. He says you have to cite a waiver. They, they have to want you. I applied. Leno accepted me. And now I send him jokes. He pays 50 bucks a joke within three days. Pretty honest system. Okay. So I finish a long tour. I'm back in L.A. And, uh... I start sending him a lot of jokes. He doesn't buy that many. I have a lot of jokes left over. I put them in my own little package. It was first. It was Lou's news. Then it was uh, last week was a joke. Okay. And then because I'm a Ben Franklin fan, he had poor Richard's almanac. Uh huh. Sayings, witticisms. So I involved in the poor Lou's almanac. Okay. And that once you're writing all the time, it's a lot easier. And that so, after a while, somebody said, You should do something with this. When I went out on tour, I would have uh, uh, copies of the Almanac placed in Vital. And on Wednesdays, if you're at a comedy club, you usually have to go to the radio station in the morning and do a promotional set. Okay. And I would take those and sell them to the DJs. Here's dirty jokes about what's happening right now.
0: Oh, I love it.
1: And when I got back to L.A. after three or four months, I had ten different ones. I, I was putting together at King Goes wherever I was.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And that, uh, I just bought a new computer. Somebody said, why don't you... Uh I had to fax them to somebody in Arizona where he could post them. It was before posting.
0: I love this so much.
1: So I did that for 70 issues, about two years. Okay. And then he said, You wanna record it? So we started recording it like a news show, just audio. Uh-huh. And he put it on. It was something called Net Radio Live and I had the highest ratings of everybody there because in those days, internet radio was just various people's music playlist.
0: Uh-huh, okay.
1: Whereas I'm putting out new jokes for this week every week. I had a pretty high-rated show. Then he says, you want to do it on video. Uh, that was like a month before 9 And the next 10 shows I did, he nominated me for a Peabody Award. Okay. I lost to... Bernie back.
0: Okay, that's not a bad one to it, lose to. It, well,
1: yeah, I mean, it was very prestigious. As it turns out, the Peabody Award is, award, is awarded by the University of Georgia. Oh. So it meant a lot to my family back home. Uh, boy, I'm quite far afield. Am I covering what you want me to this do? Is-
0: Perfect, this is exactly what I wanted you okay. to cover. Okay, I've
1: saved my very best story for now. Okay,
0: okay, give it to me.
1: Uh, I start breaking out of the Comedy Store in eighty four, eighty five. Okay. whereas I can't take six store shifts a week because I have paid shows. And once Missy starts missing me, she wants to know what's going on, and then she, now she and I know. I'm nearing the end of my term at the Comedy Store. I'm about to take the next step on touring. Okay. I run into. Let me just back up. One well, Mitzi's accountant for 10, 15 years, retired and moved to Palm Springs and opened a weekend comedy club. Okay. And offered me all the spots I'd want to do, but it doesn't it means I can't run the comedy store? Because by then I'm second highest senior doorman, head of security. I lock up the place. I drive the money to Mitzi's house, you know. So I'm gone. And uh, one night, somebody sees me in Palm Springs and asks me if I want to do a USO tour, like Bob Hope.
0: Uh huh, uh huh.
1: So I had to go through a whole lot of steps to get that. They approve every joke or disapprove. Okay. Uh. <laughs> I go through my security clearance, and they ask me where I was back in Georgia in '68. Okay and I'm reluctant to say till they tell me straight out they know and I confess to blowing up a weather tower for political reasons in 68 and they said good you told us if you hadn't told us we wouldn't have let you go
0: I love it I said
1: how do you know about that we were never caught (laughs) he says what makes you think that one of the other three don't work for us now oh shit (laughs) So we start doing federal shows on the West Coast. Everywhere there's an uh, Air Force installation or anything like that on the West Coast, we do like 20 of those. And then they asked me if I want to go overseas. Okay. We ended up going to the Pacific Command uh, two weeks in Hawaii, doing all the shows there for all the troops in the Philippines. There are 25 bases in the Philippines for oh. the American military. We did a show in every one of them.
0: Oh, I
1: love it. Sometimes two and three a day. The last show we do is at the presidential palace, Malacanang Palace.
0: Uh huh.
1: And the State Department shows up. This is a big deal. So, show went fine. We st- I'm standing in the receiving line later, and President Marcos and Imelda come by congratulating everybody. Marcos steps up to me and says, I like your cat jokes. Which blew me away. Okay. His uh, his English was as good as mine. Okay. She says, is there anything I can do for you? Well, my mother's father died in World War II in the Philippines, and she never knew what happened. So I had prepared. I had a, his picture. His sir, He was a major in the United States Army. Okay. When they bombed Pearl Harbor, the next day they bombed Manila. Okay. They didn't attack Pearl Harbor, but three weeks later they put 100,000 Japanese on the main island of uh, the Philippines and invaded and took over the place. Okay. Very interesting situation. MacArthur and the general at the time held out in an island in the harbor and then was evacuated by the president, leaving everybody to surrender. Okay. The largest American surrender in history. Grandpa Amalgam. The Japanese marched all the prisoners with no food, no water, 50 miles through the jungle, and so many died. It was called the Bataan Death March. They started out with 25,000 people. They got up north 50 miles later with 8,000. Oh, my goodness. If you fall down, they bat at you. If you run away, they shoot you. If anybody hands you water, they cut their throats.
0: Oh, my goodness. It was
1: horrible. Uh, But Grandpa survived. Mom got two letters from the prisoner of war camp up there. Never knew what happened five years after the war. Telegram from the war department. Killed in action, no details. So there I am in the Philippines. I had a chance with the president. I gave him the paperwork. Not only was he a major in the army, he was a famous American family. He was the great, 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 no, I'm four. He was the great, 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 great grandson of Sam Houston. Okay. From Texas. Uh-huh. For who the city of Houston is named. Okay, okay. That makes my mom the last female heir. Oh, so. So I'm standing there. It took about four days. They gave me a guide, a couple places to go, and I found Grandpa's grave in the fourth cemetery I visited. Because I made contact, Bob got the insurance, $62,000, was 8,000 in
0: 1944.
1: But, uh-huh. uh, a Purple Heart and a Bronze Star. Okay. I cleared Sam Houston's great great grandson's name, so I'm a hero in Texas to my family.
0: Okay. I love that. And all of
1: that because I was on the other side of the world telling jokes <laughs> that I learned to do here at the comedy store.
0: That is amazing, and that is a perfect way to end this podcast.
1: Well, except that I feel 80 90% better than when I came in, and I cannot thank you enough.
0: Oh, perfect. And we're going to show I want to show Mitzi star and everything you brought
1: as well. Thanks for having me. Of course. I hope I didn't talk too much.
0: No, no, no. You were perfect. You were actually one of my favorites.
1: I'm new at being naked. <laughs>
0: Okay, well, let's do this, though, because this is important. This is Mitzi Shore. We want to get her a star. That would be fantastic. She deserves it. Let's see. There you go, Al. Look it, you're so helpful.
1: Thank you, Al. Jeff Scott, by the way, made that uh, picture, and I had it uh, made into a canvas. That's okay. Jeff Scott's handiwork, our wonderful pianist, who was also Mitzi's companion for five years.
0: Yes, Jeff Scott is actually letting me help him with his He's not only midwives. funny,
1: he's talented. Yes. And this is... This is a still from the I Am Sam Kennison movie. They made a cartoon out of Sam and I. We were standing in the back hall, oh, I mean, the, the back parking lot, smoking a joint one night. We heard Mitzi getting beaten up. Oh. And we ran over and rescued her. And they made a cartoon of it. Okay. And so that's me and Sam right before the altercation happened. Sam ran over. We had to, I ran around the car right next to him. Sam slid over in the Hollywood move across the hood. Uh-huh. And kicked the guy off. And he was manager in Westwood two weeks later. Huh. And that's where he developed the beast. And just to tie it together, he invited a friend over to change his style. Uh-huh. And out of that, Andy Silverstein became Andrew Dice Clay.
0: Huh.
1: In the last year of Westwood.
0: That is insane. That's amazing. Okay. And this is your book.
1: Okay. Stand up, Be as funny as you think you can. As, as, be as funny as you think you are. Um, stories thousand word essays with lessons into each telling uh, pretty much what happened to me in my career
0: okay and this is the screenplay
1: oh I wrote a movie with a friend named Ricky Shane it's Endorphin Man an old comic believes that laughter is the only way you can fight disease. So late after his gigs on the road, he puts on a costume and he goes around and makes the homeless laugh. Oh, okay. And his helper is Little Serotonin.
0: I love it. Little Serotonin. I love it. And these are... And that's
1: the evolution of the almanac from writing jokes every day.
0: Perfect. All right. I'm going to go tell him to... Kill the camera, and then we can get you off. Thank, Thank you, you much. so much. That was amazing. I
1: really had a good time, but I hope I didn't talk to you.
0: No, it was perfect. Thank you so much. All right, guys, that was Lou Deck. I hope you guys enjoyed. It was a pretty cool episode. Um, please like, click, subscribe, comment. Email me at joyshappyindians at gmail.com. Until next week, a goodbye.